show business is in Sharon's blood. Born into a family of entertainers, this busy woman prides herself on being a project executive, influencer, and author of four books, including her latest book, Skin in the Game, Black Buying Power in Sports and Entertainment. In addition to her work in professional sports, Broxton is the CEO of Inclusive Marketing Group, which works on projects in the wine and spirits industry, gaming, exotic cars, food and beverage, and consumer goods. Broxton started her career as an on-air personality and later became a music director at WRBB in Boston. She then moved to Atlanta to work in media relations with the Atlantic Hawks before heading back to New York to re-enter the music business, where she then worked in marketing with acts such as Cher, Madonna, Missy Elliott, Yolanda Adams, and Vogue and Busta Rhymes, to mention a few. Braxton is a graduate of Northeastern University in Boston with her Bachelor's of Science in Speech and Communication. During our chat today, we talked about her new book and why the business of sports needs more Black representation. We talked about the importance of Deion Sanders and why he mattered both as a player and a coach. We then finished up our chat by discussing the recent Supreme Court ruling that significantly limits how colleges consider race as a factor in their admission policies. I hope you enjoy this interview as much as I did. Well, there we are, Sharon Braxton. Thank you so much for joining me on 2.30 this morning. I really appreciate it. Of course. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> so I reached out to you uh, for an investigative piece we're working on called The State of Black California. And it was a follow-up piece by um, the California State Assembly in 2007. So we thought it was worth our time as reporters to look at how lives have changed for Black Californians over the last 15 years. So thanks again for being willing to be interviewed for that piece. I really appreciate it. Um, understanding how America's dealing with race, I wanted to talk a little bit about you specifically. Um, after I reached out, I did some homework on you and I learned that you're a model of success for American Black culture, both in your focus on education as well as your storied career in LA. That includes consulting and managerial expertise with folks like Disney, Michael Coors, Sophie Stadium, to mention a few. You're a graduate of Northwestern, Northeastern University in Boston and with many other executive programs from Harvard, Columbia, and UCLA, which was once your recent one. Congrats again on that. Yeah. So just kudos because it's truly impressive. And you also wrote a book, which you see, I can see there for people on YouTube, but I also have it here, which is Skin in the Game, Black Buying Power in Pro Sports and Entertainment. And it was a great little read it was very brief, which I loved in the sense because it was cogent and clear on what you were trying to accomplish with it. So let's dive into your book a little bit. Um, why don't we start with why did you write this book? I wrote this book because I've been in professional sports for quite some time in different fields of, of professional sports. And my brother, who you know, yes. kept saying, you got to write a book on your experience as, as it relates to um, leadership. And just, I want people to understand how in sports and in entertainment, um, there's different levels and there's different nuances. And um, if you have different personalities, different cultures, um, that's where the magic happens. Um, so that's that's pretty much why I wrote. Okay. So in chapter one, according to the Interpublic Group Identity Report, Black Americans spend $1.6 trillion annually, which is a significant portion towards leisure activities such as pro sports and entertainment. You have in your book, Black American NFL players make up 70% of the players and 75% of the NBA. And then you quickly write, even though the economy is improving, Black Americans still have many economic problems such as lower median incomes, uneven distribution of wealth, higher poverty rates, and less access to grants, mentorships, and other worthwhile programs for sports. What do you see, what are you trying to get across there specific to that chapter one? Yeah, uh, so Black American men and women dominate when it comes to sports. Um, mm -hmm. We are the reason why people come and watch, especially uh, football, professional football, professional basketball, basketball yeah. uh, track and field. Yeah. Uh, so the talent is definitely there, but it you don't see it on the other side. Um, and so I think that if we're, we're good enough to be the talent, um, because we all know that without the 70% or the 75%, there would really be no industry um, of those kinds. 
And so if that is so, which has been proven, Mm -hmm. then why not have that same thing in the back office? Um, Because someone birthed these, these gentlemen, we'll speak for the men for a second, (laughs) someone birthed them. And so someone has to be in the room that understands their, their skill level, their talent, how to interact with them. Everybody's not from the same background or same neighborhoods. And Mm -hmm. so having someone in the back office or the front office that understands that part of it and understands how to interact um, and get more out of them in a positive way, then I think it's definitely a necessity. And that's all the way through coaching, executive leadership, all the way through the organization, correct? This is a- Oh, yeah, absolutely. Because even with coaches, I know- um, for example, was coming to my mind because he just got uh, laid off, I think yesterday, Mark Jackson um, and how he coached the Warriors. Um, and then he literally coached them in a way that the chemistry was magical. And then mm-hmm. once he left and Steve Kerr came in, um, who's a fantastic coach, but this is an example of Mark Jackson did the work because he 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 got them to have chemistry and chemistry is not something that you can necessarily buy you that comes from you understanding these players and understanding them um their innate talent and getting them to work cohesively and get themselves to where you want them to be and do you think there's a lack of mentorship in the sense that because obviously black if the black players are dominating the industry which they have done for decades yeah they haven't been invited to the table to coach then is that what you're talking about in the sense that they're not there's not like mentorship programs to get these after even after so let's say a lot most of the college athletes don't make it to the show right so a lot of those young men and women want to coach Yes. And the same thing, the same thing with white people, right? A lot more yeah. white people don't make it to the show. So obviously they have a yeah. much bigger track to go, oh, I want to coach. I want to be part of this team. I want to be in the PE side of things. I want to work with them. Is it, are, are there programs being introduced today that allow most of these young men and women from the college ranks to get into coaching? Either in college or no, pro. But, but here's here's what I will say about that. Um, and the real hard truth of it is you have an organization or a, a, a company where they, they have benefited from working with people that look like them. So a lot of times you want to work with your friends. You want to work with people that are familiar to you, that have similar backgrounds, right? Yeah. And so... What is not understood is your talent doesn't have the power to actually go in a different direction once they don't make it into the league. Um, so it's almost like, okay, right. you've, you've worked with this talent and now they're no longer needed. So you kind of get in where you fit in. And a lot of times for Black American um, athletes, they don't fit in because they don't come from, they're not trust fund babies. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think if you look at it from both sides, you look at it like, um, why would there be programs? Because they don't necessarily care that you were an athlete and then now you're not. Um, But what is needed is these types of programs because I think Black Americans make great coaches. And part of part of their coaching is, I would say it's a spirituality thing. There's a spirituality connection um, that a lot of times other people don't understand. But if a African-American athlete is watching this, they understand what I'm talking about. And it does, I'm not necessarily talking about religion. I'm talking about culture. Culture. And yeah. understanding how to connect with someone that may have come from a different environment than maybe some of the rest of the the athletes. Um, Because all black people don't come from the same neighborhood. Right. Um, But it's just understanding how to coach from a place of um, inspiration. Yeah. 
and not necessarily a place from ownership. And so your, your hope is that there's going to be more programs like this. And that was part of your thesis in your book was that we need these programs to get these young men and women interested in coaching positions, both at the college level, as well as the professional. Correct. Yeah. And my, I, I, to even take it a step further, I hope that there's programs in terms of the back office, um, in terms of developing okay. black American leaders in these sports. Um, for example, if you have a, a, like a black American female, such as myself in a leadership position, then I'm not, I'm not just looking at this is, this is a cookie cutter job. I'm looking at it like, how can I inspire everyone on my team to look at individuals as individuals and not necessarily look at them as race and culture? And I'm not saying that I don't see race because I see race as a black right. woman. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I, I, that it's almost offensive when people say they don't see race um, mm -hmm. because you can see race, but um what is it that you're doing with it? How are you trying to um, understand? That's the thing for me. Whenever I whenever I go into a company, I look at, okay, what are the programs in this company that is helping people to level up? And are there programs for people that look like me to go to the next level? Um, or are there mentors in that company to help someone like myself to go to the next level? That's those are the things that I look for um, in companies. And I, I years ago I worked for uh, Turner uh, Time Warner. Sorry, I did work for Turner, but I worked for Time Warner and I worked for Warner Electro Atlantic. And my boss was an African American woman, God rest her soul, Rita Roberts, and she was an incredible mentor to me. So she taught me how to manage people, hmm. and she taught me that when you are leading with inspiration, people will work with you or work for you, even when you're not looking. And I think that that's missing a lot in, in corporate America because it is very difficult for Black American women. It's difficult for women that, that look like myself to rise to the ranks um, in professional sports. And I played sports in high school. Um, I played sports. I played... Um, basketball. I ran track. I played volleyball. I was most valuable player in basketball. I was all league in basketball. So I understand um, what it takes to win. Maybe not an NBA or a WNBA championship, but I understand um, sports and sportsmanship. Yes. And so then you couple that with education. I feel like somebody like me and I feel like I'm pretty pleasant. <laughs> um, I so, so I feel like <laughs> someone like me um, should be able to rise through the the ranks um, in in sports. And it's and it's it's not always been been easy. Not saying that it's supposed to be easy, but it's almost been nearly impossible. Right, and I think that's a good take because it's not just the coaching side of it. It's actually the back office. It's companies in general that are in, in running sports as a mm -hmm. huge. You know, it's a major piece to our business. Mm -hmm. Sports is a massive piece of our industry uh, as yeah. it relates to revenues. And so what you're saying is that the companies themselves that are behind the scenes also need platforms to bring young black and black men and women up through the ranks to be part of the organization that helps nurture all these other people so that people like yourself have someone that when you come in out of school, you have mentorship that understands you and your culture and your plight as a black person, correct? Mm -hmm. And yes, and I know that when I came out of college, I did not see that. I think that um, I may have seen where the NFL has um, some sort of a connection with Howard and they have some sort of a, um, a mentorship program, but I haven't really, I don't, I haven't really heard that much about it. I think that, um, it is needed for people that work in management. Um, mm -hmm. And how do I go from a manager to a vice president? Um, I think that that is definitely needed because you may have this connection with, with Howard, which is fantastic. Um, but you also have a lot of 
managers in professional sports that are trying to go to the next level? And what kind of programs do you have for that? Um, I, I, I haven't seen a lot of that in any of the, the pro, pro sports um, outlets. Now, what are your thoughts on the NFL's Rooney rule? I was just getting ready to bring up the, <laughs> I think it's, I think if it, I think it's great if it's utilized properly. Right. Um, yeah, I think, and it, and, and I just want to also make sure that I'm clear. It is not, the Rooney rule is not for someone that is inadequate. It's, Correct. it's to make it fair. Um, and to say, okay, I'm going to look, I'm going to look at, Black Americans or Black people um, for these positions. So I'm going right. to make it fair. And so I think it's I think it's amazing. Um, shout out to Pittsburgh Steelers for starting that. Um, yes, yes. I and just for those, who, I'm sorry, just for those oh. that didn't understand, the policy originally required every team with a head coaching vacancy to interview at least one or more diverse candidates before making a new hire. Over the years, the Rooney Rule, which was from Pittsburgh, has expanded yep. to include a greater number of positions across NFL clubs. In 2009, the policy was amended to include general manager jobs and equivalent front office positions, requiring each team to interview a minimum of two external minority candidates. So they are attempting to do exactly what you've talked mm -hmm. about in your book, mm -hmm. which is not just to hire coaches and assistant coaches yep. and folks like that, but also people in the back office that are running these organizations. Yeah, and I, I, I think, and I want to be um, specific to Black Americans because Black Americans are what dominates the NFL, the NBA, and track. Yeah. Um, and so, yes, we want to, we want to be inclusive, um, and, but we have to because a lot of times with inclusivity, Black people are left out. Mm -hmm. And so it would be nice to be included in that um, in the front and back office. Um, I, I work in professional sports and I know I tell my team every time I go to work, I say, thank you for showing up to work today. You, um, this is Los Angeles. You had many choices and I appreciate you for showing up to work today. And I, and I also talk to them about creating memorable experiences for other people. This is an extracurricular activity. We are not curing cancer, but what we are doing is we are blessing people and we're blessing people with our presence, our smiles, our, um, our good, great customer service, our, um, our marketing, our event specialty, um, all of that stuff. We're, we're blessing people in an extracurricular activity. And yep. so as we climb that that corporate ladder in sports, we have to be mindful of that. And we have to be mindful we're dealing with different personalities. And we're dealing with people that are spending several thousand dollars on season tickets, or we're dealing with people that, and it doesn't even matter whether you spent that or you spent a hundred dollars. Right. Um, it's, it's really a glorified, great customer service and wanting the fans to have an incredible experience. And that's what sports brings to the table. It brings people together um, of all races, all cultures, um, all ethnicities. And so when you see that, when you look at like the Super Bowl and you look in the audience, it's different cultures and it's amazing. And I say, let's show that inside too, internally um, in your management. Right, no, I love it. So in chapter three, you wrote, and I quote, social justice is the number one factor for economic disparities for Black Americans. Yes. What do you mean by that? Um, because it's, we're not always treated fairly um, when it comes to um, jobs yep. and when it comes to even with, with, with education, um, Black Americans built this country. There's so much we've done that's amazing. And so when you walk into a room, you just want to be in a, on an even playing field. Mm -hmm. um, there, everyone, doesn't matter what race you are, doesn't matter where you came from, everyone wants the same thing. They want to make sure that their families are fed, make sure that they are treated with dignity and respect. 
If you talk to anyone, that's what yep. they that's what they want. Um, they want to be spoken to in a manner that they matter. Um, and so when it's an uneven playing field for anybody, then it creates some sort of a, a, a division. And it just it doesn't it doesn't feel right. Anyone that has been treated unfairly when it comes to the job market, mm-hmm. the housing market, it hurts. Right. It hurts. And you think social justice is is it is it effective in this area? Because obviously there's a lot of debate. Our culture, as we talked about off camera, we just hate each other, right? Across the, it's, this is like the, the right versus left, the Democrats versus the Republicans, yeah. GOP versus liberals, whatever you want to call us. Yeah. And that's where the big debate is. I, I don't think anyone of reason would disagree that we need to treat everyone just like you talked about with dignity and respect and equality. I, that's That shouldn't be a discussion that we're having, but we are. So yeah. where do you think social justice is doing what do you think they're doing right um, in, in that aspect? I think speaking up. Okay. Speaking up and speaking awareness. out. Um, yes, for sure. Awareness. Um, I think that it's, we've come a long way because of people speaking up and people being, um, not being intolerant of how they're, of how they're treated. Um, mm-hmm. So I think, Yes, it's it's effective, but there, we need to do more. Maybe we could even isolate it in the sense that just in sports and track and field, like track and field, basketball, football, let's just take those three as an example. Yes. If 75% or 70% of yep. the athletes are African-American, knowing that 99% of them are not going to the show or to the Olympics, yeah, there should be some kind of duality as referenced to a program that once you're in, we could educate these young men and women and say, Hey, we support your dreams. We want you to get there. Right. We all want you to get to the show, mm-hmm. but <laughs> 99% <laughs> of you aren't going to go to the show. So here's the programs, mm-hmm. right? There's marketing, there's entertainment, there's facilities, there's pro- project management, there's events and leadership. There's all these different things one of which, one of the tracks that you took, that that could be a way where we actually get in a, get younger men and women into the industry that they love. Because to your well, point- Well, I think that, I think that um, Deion Sanders said it best. He said, I'm raising, um, and he said this about coaching, I'm raising men that are going to become husbands that are going to become yeah. fathers. Like everybody's not going to make it into the NFL. There's only going to be no. a smidgen of people that are going to make it, right? Yeah. So yes, we have college, but when you are trying to make it to these those three um, spots that you mentioned, yeah, then they're not necessarily always focusing on the studious part of that. Now you do no. have a lot of um, NFL and NBA players that are very smart. And so it was a myth that, oh, you know, dumb jock. Remember that? We heard that in high school. Oh, yeah. But a lot of the NBA and the NFL players, I know they're smart. Um, and so, and they graduated top of their class. So no longer are the years where they're just pushing them through so they can graduate. They had like um, studies of like kinesiology. So it's not just specific to, I won't name uh, right, right. Yeah. Right. Just to right. offend anybody, I won't yeah. name a, um, a, a major. major. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I think that if we could have more coaches like Deion Sanders, mm-hmm. more people in leadership like a Deion Sanders, I think that it would even out the playing field. I did my first deal with Polaroid. My first, um, I did Polaroid's first sports deal ever. And Polaroid's been around since before we were born. Yeah. So I was the only African-American in the room with Caucasian executives that were twice my age. I did not feel uncomfortable. I felt empowered to be able to do this for this company that I was hired for because sometimes we give companies things that they didn't even know they needed. And so to be able to facilitate a deal. And I facilitated this deal with a black American um, from 
Major League Soccer. And and the and he was and actually no one even knows this. Uh, I'm saying it now, first on your show. <laughs> it turns out that this young man was someone that I knew from going to college in Boston. I went to Northeastern, sure. he went to Boston College, he worked at Major League Soccer. And so I said, hey, Polaroids never had a sports deal. They wanted Canon, they wanted um uh they wanted like different different companies match up with different um sports companies. So mm-hmm. you may have like the NBA with 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 Canon and you may have the NFL with a different camera company. And so with Polaroid, they had never done this. And so I made a phone call and I said, I want to do this, this deal with you guys. And so it turned out to be an amazing deal. This is three months after I got to the company. And so, but at first I was doing this by myself. I went to my company, went to five executives. And I said, this this is what I think your company needs. And at first there was a little bit of pushback, which is fine. Um, But my point is it made the deal a little sweeter because I'm bringing on someone who I know I trust and he wants the best for his company. I want the best for my company, but we also want the best for both companies. When you do a contractual agreement, it should be all parties involved feel great about this so you can have a long-term relationship. And so for these athletes, I've had conversations with them and it would be nice to have an executive in the room um, that looks like you. Um, and so well, and that- to your point, understands the culture as well. I think that's what's really important is you touched on that earlier and that, and that's kind of what I was getting to is that if, if these programs could be introduced to these young athletes as early as high school and say, Hey, look, just planning and plan, do your thing. Just plan on winning, get to the show. We're going to say that, but yeah. if you don't, there's different fields within marketing and entertainment and mm-hmm. management and project analysis and things like that, that you can get into. And the neat thing is that as an athlete, you understand the demographic. So if you got into advertising, oh, yeah. as an example, mm-hmm. as an athlete, you could advertise better for that product. Because, and, uh, yeah. So if you want to work for the NBA, as an example, and you played basketball, you know, in high school and college, you're a better resource for information on every front because you understand the competition you understand the winning the losing the discipline the pain and you understand the strategy of the game you understand the makeup of the macro economics you understand it all so that's where we need to get the programs kind of introduced at a younger age so that black men and women have an alternative route because they're not going to make it most of them so that's that's a great piece I, I think that um I don't I don't know about introducing them in in high school, but certainly towards the end of their career, um, their basketball career in college, because I'm not sure um well, I mean like internships in in high school, right? I mean, if you could get internships in, you can see if you're in the locker room, if even if you're the pool, you know, the towel boy, and yeah. the towel girl, it doesn't matter. It's like listen, they it. make those. The, the towel, the towel person makes like $60,000 a year. Well, like, shit, then see, then there yeah, you go. <laughs> not in high school, not in college, but like, I, I don't know if they're like 20 or, or something, but they they make like $60,000 a year. Well, there you so go. I, I think that, um, I think that there has to be programs because they're the ones that are dominating in these sports. And right. so I think that that's what I was trying to get. You, yes. <laughs> no, right. I get out right. with you. I'm totally <laughs> with you. Um, I, there have been companies that have said, oh yeah, we're putting, we're putting money into the black community. We're putting a hundred million dollars into the black community. Um, I don't know. I, I have, I don't know where it is. I mean, I, I would like you them to that. say, um, they're investment companies that have said, and I mentioned them in my, in my book, um, that are saying we're they have said we're we're putting all this money into the into the black community. I'm like, okay, if you're putting in fifty million, a hundred million dollars into the black community, why does it still look the same mm-hmm. into these um these urban environments? Why does it look the same? And is it you're spending more money on the marketing to say that you're doing it as opposed to actually doing it? Um, and so I give a little bit of 
pushback on that. And I would like to see in professional sports and entertainment programs that are for Black Americans, um, writers, um, producers, directors, instead of just saying, oh yeah, we have these programs, but I live in LA. I've been here for a very long time. Um, and I, I was raised in the entertainment industry. I have family in the entertainment industry, primarily the music industry. And so my, my, my brother is, um, my brother's been here for a long time. He's a writer, he's an actor. And so I hear the stories. I have friends from college that are writers. Um, and so I hear the different stories and it's like, okay, where are you looking? Because I often hear, oh, we can't find someone. Yep. And so it's like, what do you mean you can't find someone? I remember I was working for a company. It was an engineering company. And this is before I went to UCLA for project management and engineering. Um, this is, it was a client of mine. And I remember they, they, they wanted to have some engineers in a program. I knew nothing about engineering. I know that my two cousins in New York are, they're a power couple, they're engineers. And I know the stuff they were talking about, I had no idea. And then I went to my roommate in college was a mechanical engineering major. And I, it was just mind blowing to me. But what I did know is, okay, if I'm tasked with this project that I don't know anything about, I must learn a little bit about it. So what I did is I did a partnership with a school in Los Angeles, a college, and I connected with the dean and I said, I need to find some engineering students. So I had enough wherewithal to try to figure it out and find people. I could not go back to this company and say, I can't find it. So there are people in the entertainment industry and professional sports that people are needed in certain areas, whether it's a writer, whether it's someone in, 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 in sports, um, in management. And they say, oh, I can't find people. And I'm like, no, that's not true. It's simply not true. And the other thing I ask, well, what are you paying them? I live in Los Angeles. It's very expensive to live here. Mm-hmm. Everyone has a luxury car. Um, and so I remember my friend from college came to visit and she said, is a luxury cars on sale? Because <laughs> everyone has them. And so it's just kind of par for the course here. So you... You, you can find what it is that you need. I live in, this is a big city. So when you live in big cities, you can find, you can find anything you need, whether it's good stuff or bad stuff. <laughs> I'll give you that. You actually put in your, one of your, in your chapters that, and I'll read you specific, I'll quote you. Black people face significant barriers to entry and advancements in sports management, including systemic biases and lack of access to key networks and resources. You said, I remember applying to over 100 roles and never receiving a response, including a rejection letter. Yes. So they, didn't, they didn't even send you the rejection letter. Didn't and, even, yes. And was this early in your career or was this after you established yourself in any capacity? No, this is throughout my career. Okay. So Sadly, just, I mean, I expected, right. I think when I graduated from college, not I think, I know. When I graduated from college, I was like, I'm going to make this mm-hmm. and I'm going to be this. And I'm going to work here. Right. So I wasn't, I feel like I was kind of stripped of that dream because as a Black American, especially female, it doesn't always happen. Some of my other friends who are are of other races, they said it and it was so without that much hard work. And I'm not saying that they don't work hard. But for me, every single position I have gotten, I've worked very hard. And so this has happened before I was in management and while I've been in management. (laughs) Okay. So, you know, and as we talked about off camera, we will talk about this topic as you want to. (laughs) So um, obviously the recent ruling on affirmative action is huge debate in our body politic today. Correct. So I asked you what your thoughts were on some black scholars that I reference in my reporting, specifically on this case. Roland Fryer from Harvard, uh, Glenn Lurie from Brown, John McHorder from Columbia, and then even a young man who's kind of gained a lot of credibility lately. He's a Columbia grad. His name is Coleman Hughes. All of these black scholars and intellectuals agree with the ruling. And they have some very powerful 
arguments for that reasoning. And so I asked, you know, what is your opinion? And it's, like I said, you can just do what you want with it, but <laughs> I, I don't, I don't want to put you in a, in a, I don't want to put baby in a corner, but like, where, <laughs> what are your thoughts on it? What, because everything you just said is that we do not have enough representation in any capacity outside of the actual athletes themselves, the talent themselves, which you chronicled very well in your book, back offices, marketing, events, promotions, mm -hmm. advertising, all of those pieces and parts are lacking black people, both men and women. So if that's the case, this affirmative action program historically has been to get more black people into every single role for the exact reasons you just mentioned, which is to have mentorship, to see people like yourself in that role, to see people like yourself flourish in that way, to use Deion Sanders again, to bring up coaches, to bring up men that are going to be good family people. Let's just first start and just break this down a little bit of what affirmative action is. So intended to alleviate underrepresentation and to promote the opportunities of defined minority groups within a society to give them equal access to that of the majority population. Yep. So affirmative action was not brought about because there was an equal playing field. So that's what right. affirmative action is saying. Okay, there is there are people that are qualified that they're not be, they're not getting an equal um they're not able to be on the equal playing field so then we have to develop this program so that there is an equal playing field meaning and I'm going to just go the education route my education matches everyone else's education um right. my experience matches everyone else's experience and so that's the reason why it was it was created um, to equal out the playing field. So then you have to ask yourself, was the playing field equal? Is that why this program was created? Um, did, was this pro was this, was this a necessity because it wasn't an equal playing field, right? Um, so right. typically programs come into existence because there's a necessity. And right? by the way, that is that is an agreement from all the aforementioned scholars. Yes. They agreed. They agreed that affirmative yes. action, when it came in to practice, was totally necessary. Right. Yeah. And it's not because it, it was never because black Americans were subpar. Correct. It was never because we didn't match up to the education um, or the the some of the experience. Now, when you go to the next level, how do you go to the next level? How do you go from a, an assistant or a coordinator to a manager or to a vice president, to a president, to a CEO? Mm -hmm. So was the program implemented because there was a stunt of growth to get to those next levels? And so when you talk about those, those scholars, I would also want to know from them what changed, what changed to make you change your mind because something in their minds have changed to make them say, Oh, throw it out the window. It's not needed. And so if they feel like there is an equal playing field, then it's not needed. But the question really is, is it equal in this country in terms of, the job market in terms of the housing market. And so if you say no, then affirmative action is needed. If you say yes, then it's not needed. Right. And, and that's so a good point. It happens to be like where, where I work um, on my team, it's diversity. Mm -hmm. And I will tell you that it has made it beautiful because we're all learning from 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 different cultures and so we're able to manage the people below us so much better because we're operating off of, of out of a lens of all of us need a job all of us pretty much want the same thing and I go back to what I say in the beginning, we are all supposed to be treated with kindness, love and respect and not necessarily love in the workforce, but 
love can come in all different forms and and, and it comes in, okay, I'm going to treat you the way I want to be treated. It doesn't matter what you look like because you never know what someone is going through. And so I think that if it's a, it's an individual thing, if you feel like in this country, you're not able to go to the next level based on race, based on education, based on a series of things, then you're going to feel how you feel. Do you know what I mean? Yes. So let me give you a couple examples. So what they do talk about, and this is across the board, there's two schools they talk about, Lowell here in San Francisco and Stuyvesant in New York City. Mm -hmm. And both of those schools went from a test-only curriculum, so you had to test in to get into these schools. Mm -hmm. And in San Francisco, USD, most of our schools, public schools, are lottery systems. So you just apply for it. Same thing in New York City. Yeah. So these two schools were test only. And if you didn't test well, you didn't get in. Yeah. 70% of the students at Lowell here in San Francisco are Asian and 70% mm-hmm. in Stuyvesant are Asian. Mm-hmm. So that was part of the affirmative action debate, specifically mm-hmm. the fact that this actual last ruling was brought by uh, Asian Americans. Mm-hmm. Like, hey, you guys are now actually discriminating against us. So that's a problem. What these, all these aforementioned scholars are talking about is that it's not a good idea to say that these students should interact with these rigorous programs at the age of 14. So if you put an affirmative action program into a high school and you put a 14-year-old who has no historical rigor as it relates to homework, it's not part of their family, right? I have a Chinese wife, so I can tell you that that Chinese stuff yeah. <laughs> as, as a culture <laughs> is yeah. true. Okay, it's homework is number one. It's number one across the board. Mm -hmm. My wife's sister, my wife's cousin went to Stuyvesant in New York City, as a Mm -hmm, matter of fact. mm -hmm. And I see my wife's homework with my children. It's it's number one. It's that's the culture. So Mm -hmm. that's what they're talking about is that this is the big debate around affirmative action is should people in college be let into a university like University of North Carolina or Harvard based on lowering the standards? That's the debate is should we lower the standards to get minorities into a school to create what you just talked about, which is diversity. So well, here's, the, here's, the, here's the problem that I have with even the statement of lowering standards. Yes. Because Black Americans have invented so many things in this country. And so when you think of affirmative action, it's not about lowering standards. And so that, I don't know about the Chinese thing. (laughs) I I don't know. And I I mean, I I do know culturally that it has been said that they're, that they, they're very studious. Oh yeah. Uh, I I do know that. They are. But when people talk about affirmative action, it's, it's baffling to me how they say, lowering standards when it comes to black people because it it to me it doesn't connect the dots black people had their own community in Oklahoma and um in Georgia and so and they were doctors and they were lawyers and they owned hotels and theaters and so when you talk about those things and then i hear people talk about affirmative action and lowering standards um it doesn't make sense to me because I can only speak for my my race and it's not about lowering standards. It's about allowing people to, to be permitted to go into these programs fairly. True. And so, so if, what, what they were what they were addressing though, Sharon, was this is that in specifically to the example I gave up. Yeah. Lowell schools, you have to test to get in. Yes. If you, if you don't pass the test, you don't get in. Yes. So when they removed that to bring diversity to the school, it failed miserably. But and why do you children, have to remove that to bring diversity? Like, I don't well, know they about brought a, They brought black and Hispanic kids to the school and those kids were not prepared for that level of rigor because they've see, never been there before. I can't speak on that. But I know, like, I, I know that Brooklyn Tech mm-hmm. in Brooklyn, New York, 
Um, same thing. High school, they had to test to get in. Yep. I only know black Americans that got in there. So I can't I can't speak on that those two schools and I can't speak on them taking away tests because I come from a family where my mother sat down with us and did our homework. So I came from a studious family. Right. And when you have like um, organizations like Jack and Jill and you have organizations like uh, fraternities and sororities, um, they're studying with their children. So I know my 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 mother studied with, with us. I know my dad um, studied with me. So I can't, it goes back to lowering the standards to let black and brown people in somewhere because maybe that's not part of their culture. Um, maybe not studying the same as Asian people, but I don't know if that's a myth because I know that black Americans contributed to building this country and they, you can't be dumb inventing a lot of the things they were inventing. No, I don't, I don't think anyone disagrees there. I, I think that I'm just offering up what we've done on, on, on the reporting side of things is that the reason that I study and read the literature from these black academics is because I'm trying to understand the big debate we have in our politics today, specifically mm -hmm. in affirmative action mm -hmm. and programs that allow Diversity, because the industry I came from, advertising, it did benefit us if we had a diverse creative team, because if we're actually marketing to diverse people in a demographic, yeah. we need to know if you have a black or a Chinese or a lesbian or gay or trans, or whoever it is you have on your team, every single one of those people has a completely unique purview of the world. And that offers yeah. up a really cool story because then you can relate to all the people that you're trying to market to and trying to sell to, right? So I think there's the argument around diversity to me is powerful. I think that the argument coming from the scholars that I mentioned is that the affirmative action was necessary in the beginning. There was an alteration in the Bakke decision in 1978, specific to quotas. That was the beginning of the dismantling. And then today in 2022, 2023, they're saying, hey, it's over, it's done. We're not doing it anymore. And if you look at some of the actual... But they've school, all benefited. Those scholars that you mentioned, they've all benefited from it. They did. Yeah, well, so did Clarence Thomas. And, yes. And, you know, Glenn Lurie talks about he was he was an affirmative action baby, as yeah. he says. Yeah, that's, and, why, and I, that's why I said that. Yeah, he, they've, all, they've all benefited from it. So I'm of the mindset that I can't take away something... That I that I benefited from. I feel like who am I? And whatever it is, whatever program it is, um, I, if if I benefited from it, I can't un unless they're saying that there's equal playing field. And so it's just amazing to me how yeah. in this country, so many people benefit from organizations, programs. And once they're done with it, it's like, okay, I used you. And so now I'm moving over here. They pull the ladder up after they get there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I, I think that yeah. we, we can move on to one thing that I think they all agree on. And I think you might agree as well, is that the education of black and Hispanic kids needs to happen early on versus college. So that's oh, the one thing, right? So it's, I was, I'm reading a book right now called The American Prometheus, which is about Robert Oppenheimer. It's a fantastic book. And there's a really cool passage in the book about a guy named Felix Alder. He's a German-American professor of philosophy. And based on the ideas and tenets of the Ethical Culture Society, which is a Jewish organization, mm -hmm. he founded a school. And the school was called the Working Man School. And it was for the daughters and sons of laborers. Mm -hmm. Because he believed, and this was in the 1800s, 1880 to be specific, and he said that he believed that the education had to start as early as possible. To get oh, absolutely. And these are, this is at the time, Jewish and white, but kids, six, seven. And for that, he said, because he believed that education needed to start as early as possible, that the, the usual subjects, arithmetic, reading, and history were obviously necessary, but Alder insisted that these marginalized students should also be exposed to art, drama, dance, and some form of technical training. 
And this is because the Industrial Revolution was upon them. And so they were talking along the same vernacular as we are today, is mm -hmm. that we need to get these kids involved. And then Roland Fryer, who was one of my favorite scholars at Harvard, actually eviscerated a lot of these arguments and said the same thing, is that we need to go out and fund these universities with early programs for kids. That's what we need to be doing. Not necessarily, and again, let's just, we could get away from the affirmative action in college piece, but the, every scholar is talking about getting the earliest possible education for kids, specifically the marginalized, because if you start to have academic rigor at six, seven, eight, you're building the foundation of discipline and learning early on. And then the necessity of affirmative action changes dramatically. Because to your point, black people are not less intelligent than Chinese people or white people and vice versa. None of us are more intelligent based on our skin color. Right. It's individualized. It's individual. And to your example, it's the same thing that you know, I had. I didn't have any rigor in my upbringing. Just didn't. My mom was a single mom and and she was uneducated and we were poor and she just didn't really, she didn't talk about college. Mm -hmm. Your mom, on the other hand, was like, honey, you're getting, you're going to go to yeah, school. My mother was like, oh, you're going to college. Yeah, you're going Without to college. a question, yes. Exactly. And the same thing. <laughs> and, and so that's a really neat example. So your family got you going early on education. Mm -hmm. And that's where the debate, I think most of, most people of reason can agree that whether or not affirmative action, because to your point, Affirmative action means that you agree that the world is equal today. Mm -hmm. And that, that's the big argument because most of us liberal folk, don't, <laughs> we, we just agree it's not equal. So yeah, you need to have these programs. But if we can also, I think what we all agree on is that we need to get education to kids as soon as possible, whatever that looks like. And that's- No, I the, also think that um, with- them taking out like drama and art out of the school. It, yeah. it, it's beneficial to everyone. It doesn't matter what color you are. No. Um, if you are, if if you're able to play an instrument like mm -hmm. that, or if you're able to do sports. Or draw. I feel like, yeah. yes, me playing sports helps me in my career today. Yeah. Because it, it teaches you how to win and it also teaches you how to lose. Um, yes. And which is important. It teaches you there are lots of yeses, but there are lots of noes. And <laughs> right. so I right. think someone, if you play sports, you understand that, okay, this no is over here, but I'm going to keep moving forward in whatever it is that I, that I want or that I want to do. Um, it teaches you how to understand people when you are a, when you are a leader and you're leading a team at your job, you as a project manager, you have to understand individuals. So mm -hmm. Barbara over here may not be motivated the same way Chuck over here is motivated. And so a great leader understands that. Um, and I learned all of those things by playing sports. And I started running track when I was about six or seven. Right. And I remember... I remember coming in dead last and I remember my brother laughing at me and my father had to come down on the track and pick me up. Oh, you were so and sad. <laughs> what, it was horrible. Like it was horrible. I was laid out on the, cause I'm uh, dramatic. I'm laid out <laughs> on the track and I'm crying because my older brother's like literally pointing and laughing because right. he was exceptional in track and field from a very young age. And so my father came down. My father had a talk with me about sometimes in life you lose, sometimes in life you win. And so I remember those days. And I remember in in school and when I was like seven years old and interacting with, with different races and it didn't matter. But my parents had taught me Black history mm. and, and Black excellence. And so here I'm showing up in my Black excellence self and I'm interacting with these different people and learning about their cultures and 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 eating their different foods and having an appreciation of the different cultures. And so I just feel like that's been taken away a lot. Um, but it's it starts it starts in with with parenting and you have an obligation as a parent, even if you're not educated, to try to find these things for your kids. 
to be able to have fair shakes in, in, in life. And I think that my family, I come from a, a family of lots of teachers, but I also come from a family of entertainers. And so I feel like I've had the best of both worlds, understanding that people have gifts and they may be different from the professional gifts of a doctor or a lawyer, but mm-hmm. they can make the same amount of money, if not more. Um, so I just have an appreciation for the human connection um, because I, I go to my spiritual side <laughs> and I believe that we're all born with gifts and talents and we're all supposed to be a part of the body of Christ. And so God put Asians on this earth because there is a contribution that they have that no other culture can give us. God put Latinos on this earth, same thing. God put Black Americans on this earth for the same thing. We all have a contribution and we should be able to enjoy what it is that each other is contributing to this country as opposed to what this country really is. (laughs) Right. Which is having all these fighting factions currently, which is not helping anything. And I think that part of what we talked about off camera was that, as I've shared with you, when I report on things like defund the police, as an example, I pushed back on that narrative and I interviewed one of our old classmates, um, John Snetzinger, who was a lieutenant in the police department. And I did about 400 hours of reporting on that. And I, I was often accused of being racist and because I was asking questions. Same thing now that we're doing this reporting on the state of Black California, mm-hmm. where I've been told, you know, you're not only a patriarch, you're a white patriarch <laughs> and you're, you have no business talking about this. And so I, I just want to thank you again for, you know, helping us out with our reporting. I want to thank you for coming on the show and having this conversation because it's, I think these conversations are necessary for us to get closer together on our racial issues. And if we didn't, even if we're apart, I know we agree on politics, but the people that don't agree on politics, if we can have the conversation and understand the other side a little bit better, because there are good points as much as we don't like to think that on this, is there? there's good points on both sides of most arguments. Obviously, when when you have um, divisive rhetoric that we have on, you know, in our politics today, that's not serving us. But these conversations, obviously, I think are helping us, you know, push things in the right direction. Which, which is and I just want to add to, to you, because I do know you and you are not racist. Thank you <laughs> you no. are not racist. No. I, I commend you for asking the questions. And I think that what you have provided is a platform with a listening ear. And you and I have had conversations off, um, off this this platform and right. we've had deep conversation and I don't think you're racist and it's almost comical to me when someone asks questions and they really want to learn when yeah. people do call them racist um there are racist people in the world obviously um, but you are not one of <laughs> well, thank you. you you are certainly not um not one of them and I just want to add that in California which is um a very liberal um very liberal state I, my wish is because this is the number one market for professional sports and entertainment. Mm -hmm. I hope that there is more diversity. I hope that the athletes that um, play for a lot of these, um, these, these arenas and these fields, I hope that they understand that they need to um, push for diversity in the back office as well. Um, and leadership in the back office and promotion and all of that stuff. Because if they don't push for it, then it looks like, oh, well, it's not really needed. And they have big platforms. They have their, they have power. And so if you push for diversity, you want these companies to look like the United Nations because there's so much you can learn from other cultures um, that it just makes the world a better place. Um, when you have that. It does. And it makes corporate America a better place. As I said, from my own experience in advertising, we were better as a diverse group. If our creative team was diverse, we told better stories. We got along better. We understood people better. That's exactly what you're trying to promote in your book, Skin in the Game. Again, there it is, folks. It's a great book. And thanks again, Sharon Braxton. I really appreciate your time today. Thank you. 
thanks for tuning in, everyone. If you dig what we're doing over here, please subscribe. And while you're at it, please download an episode or two and leave a review. I'd love to hear your thoughts. Until next time, big hugs. Thank you.